Welcome to Converge Coffee with Sean Sullivan. I am sitting down here with Sean Tyler Foley. He is an accomplished film and stage performer who has been acting in film and television since he was six years old. He has appeared in productions including Freddy vs. Jason, Door to Door, Carrie, and the musical Ragtime. He is a veteran podcast guest with over 300 appearances on episodes with topics ranging from leadership to safety to overcoming adversity. He is currently the author of the number one best-selling book, The Power to Speak Naked, and the managing director of The Total Buy-In, where he works with executives and CEOs, helping them show up powerfully behind the mic to gain the exposure they need. Tyler, thanks for being on the show. How are you today? Yeah. Oh, I'm doing good, Sean. I'm I'm glad that we can connect and you know have this conversation. I've been looking forward to it. Same here. I think just life happens, and for all the the guests out there, I know that I introduce as Sean Tyler Foley, but just for the sake of so there's not like the two Shans on the show, um, you can't distinguish between the two of us. Um, I mean, we're we got brown hair. Our hair's going uh, like similar ways. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're white Caucasian males. So it's like kind of like yeah. the typical name, Sean. So I was like, you know what? Let's just differentiate it. Sean and Tyler. Um, Sounds so, perfect. Yeah. So Tyler, um, kind of the first thing to kind of start out with is, you know, how has your acting experience helped with better storytelling? Well, I think uh, being exposed to good stories early on was a fast way for me to learn structure of storytelling and the power of storytelling and how storytelling can move an audience. And subsequently, I was able to, you know, through osmosis and just sheer blunt force over the head, learn uh, effective storytelling and how to really communicate with uh, with a crowd. I love that. And I actually modeled at my podcast after sitcoms and acting and movies and different things because there is the like you said, there's like almost an osmosis going on where like, how's the cadence, what it works, what works with people. And so, you know, kind of diving a little bit deeper here is, you know, what experience do you want your customers? So the executives and leadership team you work with to get out when they work with you? Well, I want them to experience the joy that I experience on stage. I think everybody should at some point in their life experience the energy of a standing ovation. And it's important to me to see that transformation because a lot of times the executives that come to me are having a hard time communicating either with their staff or with their clients them, themselves. And, you know, there's a frustration there when you're like, well, I'm saying the thing. And you're like, no, no, you are saying words, but your audience isn't getting the message. And to see that light bulb go off for them or for them to come back, usually, you know, the greatest compliment that I can get is when they have that aha moment and they come back to me and they're like, that was the most, that was the best talk I've ever given. All these people came back and said, you know, gave me such good feedback and, and I could see the, my best compliment is I could see it in their eyes that they understood. You know, and that's what I want my clients to get out of working with me is I love seeing the aha moment in them, but I love it when they can see the aha moment in the people they're trying to communicate with, whether that is again, um, their staff, their clients or both. It's, it's paying it forward. And I agree with you. Like when you, when you said about storytelling and just kind of interjecting my stuff, I remember back in the eighth grade, I was like, or seventh or eighth grade. I was like, I wasn't like the top actor. I was like one of the kind of the bigger supporting cast, but all the little kids loved me because I had to like throw out a different voice, a really scratchy, frustrated, like, and that was around the, my type, like the my, my voice like dropped. 
And so they were like, oh, we don't want to like we don't want to listen to this guy. We want to hear this guy because he actually has and just and just seeing the light on their faces. But like when you reverse that experience, you reverse engineer that when you're when they're the executives are seeing that aha moment of like, I got to connect with them. It wasn't just what how I was saying it. It was like what I was saying and how I was saying it to making sure that it resonated with them. And so we'll put a pin in that because I, I bet you have some awesome stories here that we'll put it in the share your story section. Um, but one last question, um, and then we're, we're done with the, the fireside grilling and everything here too, or the coffee um, percolating, um, is what are some inside info tips and tricks to help your customers, these executives, this leadership team, get over stage fright and amplify uh, their personal stories, or even if it's not stage fright, maybe it is how they're so frustrated and has a hard time communicating. How, how do you break down those layers? Well, I think the, the first key is recognizing where stage fright comes from. Most people will claim to have a fear of public speaking, and it just isn't true. You're not afraid to speak in public. Uh, and anybody who's ever ordered food in a restaurant will prove my theory, because if you've gone to a restaurant and ordered food, particularly if you didn't know your wait staff, you were speaking in public, you were speaking to a complete stranger, and you were asking for your, what you want. And so this notion that we're afraid to speak in public or we're afraid to speak to strangers or we're afraid to ask for what we want is null and void if you've ever talked to a wait staff that you didn't know in a public restaurant and gotten the food that you asked for. The reality is we're afraid of public judgment. And that is not a thing that is unique to a worker level. Executives, especially at the higher level, are afraid of judgment. They're afraid that people, what if people find out that I don't know everything? Everybody knows that you don't know everything, and that's okay. Pretending that you know everything is dangerous. And so this notion of public judgment and that fear of it is really what we're actually experiencing when we have stage fright because we're afraid that the words that we're going to use are going to be uh, misunderstood or misconstrued or we're not going to communicate effectively or we're going to forget what we're supposed to say or they're going to know that i'm a fraud because i don't know x y and z i'm going to stumble over my words i'm going to use filler words all of those things become stories inside of our head that we then tell ourselves to psych us out of conveying a message publicly i.e speaking in public and really what we're afraid of is public judgment. So if we can eliminate the the fear of public judgment, there is no need to have the stage fright. Best way to do that is to recognize that the audience is on your side. You know, particularly if you're in a position of leadership, they're looking to you for direction. There is also nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. You know, that can actually be one of the most empowering statements any leader can can make. I don't know. Let's figure this out together. Who has an idea? Let's brainstorm. Those can be some of the most effective leadership moments. And that's one of the things that I encourage a lot of the people that I work with to do is understand if you are given, particularly if you're um, in a position of leadership where you've been asked to present and say you've been given like 45 minutes, you should only be talking for about 25 or 30 of those 45 minutes. But dialogue, it's one of the things that makes your podcast so effective, Sean, is that you dialogue with people. And uh, and the really good guests know when to stop talking like I'm about to do right now. Perfect timing because I had to like 
I, I don't like those lulls within a podcast. Like I'm taking notes and everything's very valuable, but I love your, your frame of reference and your pivoting point on this where it's not afraid of the public speaking. Cause like you said, you gave it really great analogy and visualization to it, but it is the fear of public judgment of like, Oh shit, I don't know everything. And I'm directing these people. Or it even goes back to even parents where like they raise their kid and like, I don't know what to do. What if I drop them? What if I do this? But it's all playing upon like almost a scarcity where it's the what ifs. Yeah. But also it's almost reframing and saying, what if the, it didn't happen? Mm -hmm. and, I, and Well, I, and that's the other key yeah. to getting over it is recognizing that the audience is on your side. So when we're experiencing stage fright, it's very egocentric. Mm -hmm. What if I, what if I, what if I, what if I? If you flip the narrative and say, how will I best serve this audience? How do I leave them better than I found them? What information do I need to impart? What, is, what are the key critical factors? If there's only one thing that one person took away from this presentation, what is that one thing? And then focus on that and focus on them and making sure that they have that understanding. And then it's really hard to focus on yourself. If you're focused on somebody else, you can't be thinking to yourself how – what if I screw up? What if I do this? Is my heart going? Are my palms dry? Are my palms wet? Is my mouth dry? Is my mouth wet? What am I doing? When am I sweating? What am I going on? All that stuff is null and void if you start focusing in on your audience. So your audience is on your side and you are the authority or you wouldn't have the position to be speaking to them. And when you combine those two things, then you can come at your presentation from a position of strength instead of weakness. You're you're right. And even in the, in the podcasting world, I've been kind of uh, not talking about it, but I've been kind of going to be talking more about it more in the sense of reversing, you know, the customer, you know, experience in the sense of reverse engineering. How do you want them to feel? And how do you reverse engineer the steps in order to get to that point? And it was really interesting because everything that you said, like all these podcasts that are out about there about brands and let's do this. It is very egocentric in the sense of mm -hmm. here's our brand. Here's this and instead of, and they're like, Oh, we want to get all these downloads. We want the consumption rate to be high. But in actuality, they don't have high downloads. They don't get a high consumption rate. People are not listening all the way through. In actuality, the, the, the purpose of a podcast as I'm talking about it, and as you're like, are you articulating as you're talking about, you know, audiences on your side is a podcast should build enablement. It should give the tools of enablement to other people. And the primary focus is not the people listening to it. It's the guest. Because the guest is sharing their knowledge. The guest is sharing their knowledge with other people and their ecosystems. I'm sharing my, the, your knowledge into my ecosystems, and it's a bridge gap. It's, it's, it's how storytelling in its infancy became where people were just – but now we have the point of where we can document it. And this is yeah. kind of the beauty with each episode that we could document it and listen back to it. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I remember I said that. I remember you know, how I did this. And even the beauty of the trends going on with this podcast, like everybody was talking about design, messaging, and tech and mm – -hmm. In the last few years, it switched the dial to customer experience. And about 67% of the people on my podcast talk about customer experience. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of it, Tyler. Like you're talking about the beauty of the story, but you're, you're putting the narrative around it. Yeah. And you're putting and switching the focal point. And so no more grilling questions here, but would love to get your stake on that. Going back to that question too is how people get out, you know, what do they get out of it working with you? And so I bet you have some awesome stories so the floor is yours go ahead well my favorite story is is the the power that uh being able to articulate your thoughts or your message or your brand uh your vision to a group can have i had a, a client one of my first clients that i ever worked with when i first was starting to 
play with the idea of maybe I could actually make this a living. I'd been approached by a couple of executives to help me kind of fine tune just a single presentation. You know, I want this to be better and I really liked what you did. Can we do this? And and I, I realized that there might be an opportunity for me to coach people, but I really wanted some challenges. So I put out a, a social post and I said, you know, of all my friends, if you are genuinely terrified of public speaking, not uncomfortable public speaking, but will not do it, and it's holding you back from a big goal or vision, reach out to me. And I had uh, my friend Amanda reach out and she she's brilliant, like absolutely brilliant clinical psychologist, um, specializes in relationships and uh, she's just a, a genuine giving human being with a huge heart and an unbelievable gift for seeing the bigger picture. And this was back in like 2015, 2016. And the, her idea was to have remote therapy sessions. And at the time that was not a thing that was very looked down upon amongst the colleges uh, because you needed to have in-person interaction. You needed to be there. If, if your patient that you're interacting with, you know, had issues, you needed to physically be there. And she kept thinking to herself, this, this can't be right. Like there, there's so many people who some help is better than no help. And they are, they are remote. They don't have access. People are not going to them. They're in remote communities. We need to be able to serve these people. So she started playing with the idea and she needed seed investment for it, but she just couldn't, she'd get up in front of venture capitalists and just shut down and she just couldn't talk. And so she came to me, she's like, I need to be able to present to this board in a month um, for a presentation. And she's like, I've, I've walked away from this meeting four times in the past year. I've, I've rescheduled just because I, I get so anxious thinking about doing it that I just, I, you know, I make up an excuse and don't go. And she says, if I don't go to this one, they're going to drop me. And if they drop me, all these people won't get served. And I said, well, focus on those people that you're going to serve. Like, what? how will you feel if you are able to implement this? What are the lives that you'll change? Who is somebody that you've tested this with? Like, what? How, how, show, walk me through that and picture that. So we started working on that. And she's like, yeah, but I can tell you because it's one-on-one, -on -one, but I can't tell all these people. I'm like, okay, go on. And this was just after Facebook Lives started being a thing. Like, uh, the Zuckerbergs just started doing Facebook Live. And I was like, go do a live. It's like, what do people watch? I'm like, nobody watches lives. And I was right. Nobody watches live. She went on live. I think she had like two people pop on and probably both of them popped off within 30 seconds. And she did a little quick little five-minute thing. But what happened was then she posts it and then it stays on the internet. And then I, we started tracking the views. And it was like 100 and 200 and 300 views. And I'm like, see, 300 people saw what you said. But only one person was on the live. It, it, talking to a group of people is no different than talking on one-on-one. -on -one. I said, so your goal when you go into that meeting, before you go into the meeting, make friends with at least one of those venture capitalists. And you're, she's brilliant, so she can do it. She's good at conversation one-on-one. -on -one. I said, and then when you do the presentation, just talk to that one person. Just talk to that one person. Be specific. Hone in on them and tell them why they need to. Just the one needs to invest in this. She went in. She nailed it. Nailed the presentation. Was terrified, but she got over it. She had the mindset. She knew the strategy. She had the stuff going in. Nailed the presentation. Got her seed money. Grew that. Now, remember, this is 2016, 2017. She starts up the company. 
Over the course of two years, she grows it from what was a single practice with her earning a decent, you know, mid six figures to a multi, multi million dollar seven figure and eight figure enterprise by the time everything was said and done um, with a team of virtual psychologists who they had uh, two divisions. They had a revenue division and they had a, a charity division. So the revenue division, they'd pool a little bit of the money and then each for every you know four or five hours that they worked here, they would donate one hour of time to a remote community who needed the help but couldn't afford it. And that was the charity give back piece. And the more they did it, the more the more revenue they grew, the more. And then there was also a, a, sec, a, a lower tier in the revenue one where people just paid what they could. This is our charge rate, 120 bucks an hour, but you pay whatever you can. And some people would start at like 40 bucks an hour and then work up to whatever they could. Either way, they were serving people. 2019, she's grown it to eight figures. 2020 happens, and what does the world desperately need? Desperately, desperately, desperately needs remote psychological help to deal with the isolation that happened in 2020 and she went from like 10 15 million dollars to over 100 million dollars over over a course of a year when everybody else was experiencing struggle she was she was on top of it wouldn't have happened if she wasn't able to communicate her message effectively to that group of 20 venture capitalists and to this day that is i mean and it's all her I gave her a couple of strategies, but she was the one who implemented. She was the one who did it. And that's really the key is I work with people who just need a tweak. They just need a strategy. And then off they go and they can go. I want to be obsolete to my clients within a year. If I haven't solved your problem in a year, I'm a charlatan. I mean, I, words escape me. <laughs> I, It's even more so just less in the sense of the numbered figures, but the trajectory that she – visually saw what she needed to do and you helped remove those blockages. That's what a coach does is removes the blockages. This is what you need to focus in on. You know, I'm seeing things from my point of view that can help you with this. And because she had everything she, I mean, she had, she had all the tools. She did the work. Yeah. You just said, Hey, like, let me take this off your plate. Let's focus it on that way. And just the acceleration. And so I love that. And I love that she scaled something and things happened in the trajectory of things and even just how her mindset in the sense of, you know, putting four hours in and then giving one hour to charity like that yeah. is such a cyclical just giving back to humanity that doesn't have to be about profit. It can yeah. be about profit and people. So, Tyler, enough about, you know, stories, you know, messaging, narrative, but more so about, you know, this part of the episode is about you where, you know, why do you do what you do? Like what was kind of the big thing of, you know, you saw these opportunities, like people approaching you, you know, why do you get up in the morning for, you know, work? And then how do you um, recharge and recalibrate yourself uh, through hobbies, through health? And so this floor is yours to talk about, to talk about you and just kind of give some um, inspiration, even though you think it might not be impactful, it might be impactful to other people where they might be a few steps behind you thinking like, oh, I can't do this. And I think just even the words that you talk about, like how, what you live every day is like, it can be possible. Well, I think the reason I do it is because I don't know how to do anything else. And I've tried. I have dabbled in so many industries. I have tried so many other things. And this is, you know, this is kind of my superpower. I, I, I was working with a client this morning and he says, but you just say things so smoothly. 
I said, we all say things so smoothly when we're talking about the things we know about. The problem is, is you're trying to talk about things you're not comfortable talking about. So say the thing that you know, use your expertise and you will find your audience. And, and so it was, this for me is the only thing that I know how to do. And for a long time, I thought, well, that isn't, it isn't even a superpower. Like anybody can talk, everybody can talk, you know? And for me, it wasn't until I had a lot of people come up to me and go, no, you do it differently. Like there's something about the way that you do it and I want to know how. And then having to reverse engineer, well, how is it that I know what I do? And going, well, you know, starting out on stage at six years old probably helped a whole lot. And why did that help a whole lot? Well, because I love an audience. Why do you love an audience? Because it was a safe and rewarding thing when I was young. Like I started on stage before anybody ever told me you were supposed to be afraid of being on stage. Because anybody who has a small child knows fear is a learned behavior. Young children don't have fear of anything. They will jump off of anything, touch anything, taste anything. And you're like, no, don't do that because. And same with the fear of public speaking. We don't know that we're supposed to be afraid to speak in public until somebody tells us, shush. The majority of the clients that I work with have two things in common. One of two scenarios. Either... They were raised in a household where they were told children should be seen and not heard, and their voice was diminished that way, or they had an experience, usually in elementary school, in the earlier grades, where they were called upon by the teacher, didn't know the answer, or said the wrong answer, and everybody laughed at them, and the reinforcement that they got is, I open up my mouth and say something, I'm shamed. So I'm not going to open up my mouth. And it becomes this pattern that becomes ingrained in the DNA. And suddenly they are, quote unquote, afraid to speak. Well, the reality is they're not. As we've discussed, what they're afraid of is the public judgment. For me, I never felt public judgment, public speaking, because I had public adulation at a very early age. My first experience, one of my first memories is being on stage and getting a standing ovation. And I know the power of that. And I want to share that with people. So this is the gift that I have is I can give people the opportunity to feel what that exhilaration is when you connect with 200, 300, 1,000, 10,000 people and they reward you with the what is the greatest gift any human can and that is their time and their uh, adulation. They've invested their time in you and they want to thank you for that investment, that they feel they got something out of it, and so they reward you with what they can, uh, their voice and their their hands, and they clap and they cheer. And that is should be experienced by everybody, and it's what motivates me to keep doing what I do. Just writing some good notes down here. Um, that was a lot, uh, Tyler. But no, it, it, it is, it should be, it shouldn't be... Um... As you say, it's like you're, you're articulating it's not a transactional exchange. It is very much an emotional experience exchange. And like even in theater and movies and different things like that, that you, you notice the energy just heightens to a whole nother level when things happen or you hear musicians or other things to just kind of go on where, yeah, you're experiencing those moments, but they're they're giving they're sharing their gift to you. And, you know, I think we have become such a um, 
me society you see it on facebook you see it on linkedin or meta or other things like that where it's very much a me or i'm an influencer i'm going to send all this content out versus like it should be more of a we like how can i help you in this post of saying like you're not the only one um and so you know kind of more so of like you know what do you do to kind of um recharge in the sense of like you know do you have any hobbies do you do anything like little like tips or tricks on health where you're oh, like, yeah. you know so go ahead. i i i am not somebody who can invest in the gym i don't i've never i've never understood the concept of of paying money and then going and and working out occasionally um i know people who do it are dedicated and it's just never been a thing that i can do but growing up in canada hockey is in my blood and so i uh goaltend and it's a beautiful thing for me because the goalie position is the only one that's on the ice for the full 60 minutes. And it's the only one that is constantly interacting. I also get to feel the camaraderie of being on a team while still getting to be a lone wolf. It's the only one like nobody. I'm in my crease. Everybody else is on the bench. I am separate from the team, but I'm still part of the team. So I get to have moments of Zen. Like, honestly, it's weird. I'll be sitting in the, in the crease and I'll be doing breathing exercises. Like I'll be doing prana breaths to stay focused on the puck. But at the same time, it's focusing, it's calming my body. It's really hard for me to get, even if I've had a bad game, I usually get off the ice really recharged, really refreshed because I've gotten in a really good physical workout, especially as a goalie because you're wearing like 30, 40 pounds worth of gear and you're going up, down, up, down, up, down, out, in, out, in, out, in, out, in. Like there's a lot of skating. I don't think people realize how much work a goalie actually does. And, you know, I, I'm drenched in sweat. I usually lose about five pounds of water after a game. Like I'm just, I sweat it all out. And then I'm hydrating, so I get a lot of water back into me, and I get to breathe. And the, the better I breathe, the more focused I am. I know the really good games because they're the ones where I've been able to control my breath, which means I can control my thoughts, I can control my actions, I can control my reactions. And that's critical in that in that position. And so, you know, good games, like I said, bad games, I still have a good mind frame coming out of it. Good games, it's it's almost zen-like. It's, it's amazing. So that's what I do for me and then you know some other hobbies i have i love watching movies with my wife we love doing puzzles together like jigsaw puzzles or like word puzzles you know those um the so and so did this for this amount of time and then this person did this and you have to piece together who did what because you have missing in their logic gaps and you have to piece everything together we love doing stuff like that and then you know this this is not just a business for me this is a hobby in my zen getting to come on and chat with hosts like yourself, you know, come on, converge coffee and have a quick little chit chat and, and share my knowledge. It's, this is what I do to unwind and relax. You know, Tyler, I really appreciate you kind of going through and just talking about, you know, not the fear of public speaking, but the fear of judgment kind of going through and breaking through that as well as reversing it and not talking about our ego selves, but in actuality, helping other people. And even just the beginning of the podcast, when you're talking about different things and sharing your story and talking about Amanda and going through her story and everything else, I felt an ease. Like you just have an ease kind of going through things. And when you talked about the deep breathing, like that was a true connection of like, I do that too, where they're like, life just slows down. Like it's almost like everything just kind of slows down and you see it and you see things for what they're worth in the sense of like, no, it's not a big deal if you go up and stand up in front of all these people, because if you just focus on one person of how I could help them, 
everything else melts away. And so, Tyler, thank you for being on this episode. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, Sean. And to all the Converged Coffee drinkers out there, that's a wrap.